hello. Hi, everyone. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Environmental Podcast. Yeah, this is our podcast where we talk about different aspects of sustainability. Every month, we have kind of an overview where we talk about the issue, and then we read a book, and then we talk to a change maker in the industry, and then we have kind of a, an overview. This month, we are talking about deforestation, and this is our this is part two, where we are reading a book for the month. Yes, we read the book called Save the Planet by Almir Nayaramoga Surwi, who is an an indigenous man from Brazil, the Hondonian region of Brazil. And it's really about his journey as a tribal leader and working to conserve the rainforest in yeah. his area. Yeah. And just to start out, do we recommend this book? I would. Would you do you think you'd recommend it? Yeah, I think, I mean, it was, it was not like, it, I think it was a really nice balance of, it was a really interesting story about his life. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really powerful in a lot of ways. And it was also like quick and, and just really kind of compelling throughout. Yep. So, yeah. Agreed. I think it's great. It is a heavy book because it's about deforestation and like environmental racism in in the indigenous for the indigenous tribes in the rainforest and kind of the real experiences of them and the real experiences of the what they what he referred to as like contact with the white man and the settlers there and so it was in some aspects, I think I was like listening to this book going, what the actual fuck? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's, 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 it doesn't, um, it's not a book that like, it's not a feel good story. It's like, no. it's real, it's real. And it's, it, he had a, a, I actually don't know if he's still alive. I was just trying to find that. I believe that he is. He's 46. Yeah right now okay right on yeah I was like he yeah. wasn't that long ago he seemed pretty young so um yeah. it's yeah it is incredibly frustrating at times it just like the topic of deforestation in general this isn't a pretty mm -hmm. topic there's no easy way to wrap it up there's no true solution right now it is really complex and um and it's kind of difficult to research there's so much like and it's this, and I, I think like he would say the same in throughout this book, like this topic, it was, it's so difficult to find the right sources and the right kind of help and yeah, find allies in this, like, yeah, throughout this process, it's difficult. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, essentially, the story follows Almir, who sees this massive issue happening on his yeah. tribe's land, mm -hmm. um, where there's timber poachers 
um, and just like massive deforestation and all of which essentially is caused by white settlers coming in his their tribe was also like wiped out by disease when these new people came to their area um yeah they started at five thousand uh and within like 10 years of the, or within the first couple of years of first contact back in what was that like the 60s mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they uh they were down to a hundred and something. It was pretty insane. Yeah. 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 And they've not, they had still have not recovered their, no, their they, numbers. They're at, no, they're at like maybe 1400 now. Oh, they were down to 240. I wrote it in my notes. That's, and yeah. something that I think that stood out to me in that part is when he said people, two things said, one of them was that they came and they said they were vaccinating for these various types of flus. Mm -hmm. The medicine offered was actually useless against the illnesses that were killing these people. Um, the other thing that stood out to me was that they said they were vaccinating, but actually they were taking blood samples to figure out why their hair stayed black as they got older, why they didn't go gray. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. Once again. Yeah, so much of this book is like, it makes it so clear that settlers and like big ag and a lot of times politicians, they treat indigenous folks like, like livestock, like animals. And I mean. Yeah, if not worse, because at least worse. they put yeah. some sort of like a, weird value on the on a cow like they treat them like insects like yeah in the way of growth it's it's yeah it is really pretty disgusting um yeah. and it's the same story it's it's the same like it's uh it is such a classic terrible and uh really sad tale of of uh, colonialism, you know, it's this, it's, right. it's, this. it's just modern day colonialism. Yes. Yeah. Um, where the tribe people really had no way of fighting against it there, you know, if they, there was no winning, honestly, like they couldn't, they couldn't actively fight back against any of the settlers who were taking their land or any of the poachers, because then those settlers would basically say, Oh look, see, they they fall they're under savages. the stereotype of being yeah. so savage and dangerous. We need to get rid of them. Like there's mm -hmm. there's no way. I mean, the settlers were the people that like started these stereotype types in the first place. Right. Strengthened them then by the tribes people actually standing up for themselves, they would only just fall, kind of fall prey to that stereotype right. which right. um was a, a really, I mean, it's just really pretty tragic. And it's, and it's, yeah, it was striking how similar some of the stories were to like how racial inequality is here in the United States right now. Yeah. Like it, there's so many parallels. Um, 
Yeah. Or even how like America was colonized to begin with, you know, let settlers show up, spread disease, spread fucking lies um, and just mass murder Indians or displace them. There was a lot about the displacement. I will say also that like, there's a lot of like, Almir spent a lot of his time communicating with NGOs and like bigger organizations that were supposed to be helpful that just either weren't helpful or either were super corrupt, like the SPI, or um, or that just didn't have the resources to be helpful. The Amazon is a massive place, so it's difficult to like track down people that are stealing land, you know? And so he spent, so there were some good hearted people and, and, and organizations part of this as part of his journey, but so much of this book is about like, then this, then this happened with the settlers uh, stole this many hectares and then we got them back. And then they stole them out from over here and then we got them back and then they built a road over there and then they convinced the other tribes people to they like bribed other mm-hmm. tribesmen to um allow allow poaching timber poaching to happen like so much of this is just like the same story and i thought it was interesting about like how um how much bribery came into play yeah in this story. Yeah, I mean, the people the people in charge took bribes from loggers. I mean, it, it's just- People in it, charge and, and, and the native- And other tribes, too. absolutely, yeah. right. Because, so throughout this process, Almir, who was the, the leader of this particular Surwe tribe, um, was really working on trying to find a way to allow for his tribe's people to make an income off of the land that they had and not rely on like funding from other people in order to survive. They really, he wanted to make some sort of a sustainable solution, something maybe ecotourism, something like how they could generate their own revenue. And for a long time that really kind of wasn't cutting it for for everybody and he like there were definitely people who were financially struggling in his tribe and so like it was it's no wonder that those people took bribes because they needed that they needed the money and and right he he focused yeah. on that in one part of the book where he he was where he was really understanding of the fact that they kind of though it was short-sighted right they took this money the tangible money because they couldn't see the like intangible consequences of their actions of allowing Mm -hmm. this logging to continue further but Mm -hmm. his whole work was really based on trying to gain funding and resources from conservation um so it was it was it was definitely like a struggle to have to communicate that to his tribes people that were struggling financially and uh and I think like that to that point man it it kind of for me nails deforestation because he's dealing with it 
internally, like he's trying to hold this tribe together and he's dealing with this, like these problems inside of his little, well, I guess 1400 people is not so little, but essentially, it, but it is inside his, his tribe and also trying to fight this like next circle of people that are trying to steal land both legally through like policy change and illegally through poaching and then also on uh like the book is called save the planet like on a global scale he's going around the world and searching for this funding so he's got all of these levels and he's the chief he's not just like the dude doing this he's like literally running a tribe and then has all of this other stuff he's trying to do I can't imagine how stressful and frustrating this life is and then to just see you know uh like especially when it comes to like policy decisions that are revoked and you know that cause because one of the things he was really concerned about was being able to meet the carbon emission standard for being able to like receive funding from that. And he was so concerned about it. And then people are selling off his land, you know, illegally mm -hmm. to poach timber. And yeah, I can't, it's so yeah. frustrating and it's yeah. so big. Like, <laughs> yeah, I uh, mean, it was like any step forward, any progress he made, there was a, yeah. now a new thing that he had to tackle and yeah. and the issues kept getting bigger and bigger um right and 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 seemingly yeah i mean there were like world organizations worldwide organizations that were trying to like fund mm -hmm. but he was really trying to create something that like was a model yeah that didn't oh. rely on that stuff and that right. was like that that's never been done before right he's creating this whole thing and i wrote a quote from him down um about that i can't find it but essentially he said he said that if you wanted to he said it so nicely and I'm getting, if I try to say it, it's going to butcher it. That he, that essentially you need to lead by example and that he was getting himself so stressed and where he's openly in throughout this book saying these things are stressful. And he was like, I just kind of realized that I had to lead by example and just be be the we had to be the tribe that was making the difference here we had to be the one that was starting the cultural center and be the one that was starting the like university we couldn't continue to ask other people to do this stuff for us or like continue to try to rely on other people while we were just feeling concern about our our forest like we have to do something about it and we have to do it on their level not like on our level where we're just trying to save our little space we have to teach other people this he was calling it a 50-year plan mm. and um I thought that was a really beautiful there's so much of this book is so beautiful 
he gets about where he gets his lessons from in the rainforest and his connection with the moon, which is was so interesting to like hear another story about a moon connection and his relationship with his dad and how his dad like taught him all of these important lessons by using like the snake mm-hmm. in the woods and um it was all it's it always for him comes back to these trees and it always comes back to the lesson from the forest and how he's done a lot of work to teach about to learn about his about around this environment like digital world and there's a whole section about google earth he just like went to google and demanded a meeting which is awesome and um which is like can't do i wouldn't even know how, where to go on their campus um and he's done so much work to learn about it about this other world that he wants people to do the work to learn about his world and mm-hmm. it's his job to educate that to educate yeah. about that and I think that it was so beautiful it yeah absolutely yeah I mean the fact that he was even able I mean he's just absolutely brilliant that like he utilized the internet to help to show the world his situation and like I mean the reason he went to Google Earth was because he had seen it as a tool in the first place Mm -hmm. and realized it was like on the land that he lived on it said uninhabited zone right and he was like um no that's not true like there is so much history here and and so he he used it as a tool to help educate people and that was something that I mean I guess this this is probably in like 2010 um yeah yeah, I mean they sent it easier to go to it they sent a bunch of emails and they were able to get a meeting with someone who who worked with Google Earth um and and so yeah they were able to utilize that to show the the different kind of things that they were building there like the school Mm -hmm. and um it's it was interesting that he mentioned he was like they used Google earth to help to educate people, but it actually didn't, it didn't help. Like it didn't help to stop the issue of, of land and, and timber poaching, but it did help to prove the scope of the problem because you could see it from a satellite view now and they could see how much the landscape was actually changing. Um, So that was a really cool tool and it was also just cool that he could see the value in these in in technology um and how and he could find a way that kind of bridged his indigenous culture and the age of the internet and it was really really cool yeah it is really cool and that's what helped him to kind of get in touch with so many different organizations and like yeah he names a lot of organizations in this in this book uh and I wrote down some of them and I tried to write down and I tried to look up a few and either I wrote them down wrong maybe some of them don't exist anymore or they are very small so don't have like regular aren't easy to find 
um, again, this was 10 years ago that he was writing. So, and a, a lot of this takes place between like 2000, when he's talking about the internet, um, takes place in the early 2000s. So trying to look up some of these, some of these like foundations um, has, was, was mm -hmm. a bit difficult, but I did, we did find the forest carbon partnership, which is, he talks about a red plus of a lot because that was when they have their carbon project. Um, the Suri carbon project is what he was saying, the way that he was like talking about it um, and about carbon credits and reforestation was what they were focused on then. Now mm -hmm. it's a little bit different um, from what I can see on their website. So I did find, we did find it. What I think is really interesting is that Brazil's not listed as one of the countries that they're in anymore. The Forest Carbon Partnership, right? The forest Carbon yeah. Partnership. As of right now on, on their website, they are not a country listed that is um, participating in this, um, which is really sad. I, I wonder what happened over the past, you know, Me too. eight years or so. Yeah. We do know that there were two important dates that he wanted everybody to like that he that he specifically wanted to call out as issues um, at the end of the book. And one of them, they both happened in 2012. Uh, I would say that this probably has something to do with why they're not on here anymore. Mm -hmm. The first one is um, in March of 2012, Brazil confirmed the transfer of the validity of indigenous lands to the National Congress. And so the National Congress of Brazil can now override um, whether or not a land is protected or it belongs to indigenous tribes. So that's mm -hmm. frustrating. The other one, which happened in July, which is in law speak basically simultaneously, um, is that indigenous lands may not get in the way of national defense or like growth of the nation. So essentially <laughs> they transferred the rights of the indigenous people, of indigenous lands uh, to the government. And then also said that even if they do, if the indigenous peoples do own that land, that if it's in the way of a road or a hydroelectric dam or some sort of energy production or national defense, anything, that the government still owns it and can just do whatever they want with it. Yeah. Yeah. So no, no protections whatsoever for no. indigenous rights um, or rights to their land. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, all of that is just sort of geopolitical issues where yep. for a time there were indigenous leaders in power yep. um, in some areas and it was never you know it was never something that was like majority by any means Ever. it was maybe there would be like one advocate or something like that yeah at one point um, there was like one out of seven um or something like that but as yeah, I mean, it, like as we know in politics, yeah, with with a few a few changes for people in power, a lot, a lot can get can change. really, really yeah. um, 
messed up. And a lot of the progress that he had made, it unfortunately seemingly seems nullified Mm -hmm. right now. Like it is back to square one. Yep. He, yeah, he had said they had shut down before that. They had shut down more than a thousand illegal operations. And with the government before the government that laid down those, those two laws and that, um, when a new farmer, a new settler came, they had to preserve 80% of the rainforest that's on their land. I'm going to assume that that law is not followed. And if it, if it still even exists, it's just ignored. Yeah. That was the thing throughout the book really was that like any time that there were actually laws put in place, people didn't follow them and the government didn't do anything to, uh, to enforce them. Right. Um, they never enforced giving out any of the federal funding that the indigenous tribes right. were due. Um, they never enforced like um, indigenous leaders or like um, environmentalist leaders would just be killed. And there's a lot about it's kind of the book starts with it with him saying that there's a there's a price on his head. Yeah. And he talks about it a couple of times. Um and how, and he's got bodyguards. His bodyguards is, is part of the book also. Um, and how other environmentalist leaders were killed, and they did nothing. The they were just like, okay, you know. Um, I mean, it's such a it's it's really actually like a pretty fucking sad reality that we live in these things just aren't yeah dealt with yeah and and it and it continues to this day i mean yeah. it's interesting that the world bank is so intertwined with a lot of things so the world the world bank was something he Almir met with the World Bank in 1999 and he investigated and they investigated some of his claims of how um, Brazil was doing nothing essentially to help fund them. The World Bank essentially is what kind of started getting some funding at least to his tribe and um, so that's a good thing but it's it's just interesting kind of continuing to do some of the research into deforestation yeah. in general it's just interesting how the how the world bank kind of gets this information like like even just some of the statistics the world bank estimates that 80 percent of logging operations are illegal in bolivia 42 percent are illegal in colombia um and it's like, how does the, I, I don't know how the World Bank plays a role here in kind of watching this information. Yeah. But. But they are in a lot of, this is totally a different topic, kind of. It's more big ag. Um, so when I first moved to California, I worked for a rice company and it was a worldwide, and we worked a lot uh, with, like South America and we sent rice back and forth. And um, the World Bank had a lot to do with that rice trade also, especially we were looking, like that was um, 
when South Sudan was just a new country, they had like just, just became yeah. a new country. Yeah. And we were looking at um, being a part of an NGO of like giving rice to South Sudan and also like helping them learn to cultivate it. And that, that was part of my job there. And the World Bank was where we used, where we got a lot of information and like who we like, who was like sort of funding that stuff. So it feels mm -hmm. like, and there's there, I, in my mind, they're just kind of like a massive trove of information. If it has to do with a commodity, they have the information. Yeah. That's what, that's what I gathered. Cause I had, the, I have those questions too. Like, how do you get this information? Mm -hmm. But they just, I mean, they're so massive that like, yeah, they have it. If they have, they have tons and tons of people and so many sources and so much information. And they're so a part of the, of the like global commodification of things Yeah, that I think that they probably just have it. And I would, do I think that it's like a great organization? I don't know. I think it's better. I think they use hegemony to like, own parts of the world and mm -hmm. like I think that they trade parts of the world um, with countries that can buy it but I also think you know they're mostly a I want to say like a data-driven mostly non-bias party that's kind of stuck in places that aren't necessarily um that are that have a lot of corruption yeah yeah if that makes sense like i it's a it's a tool more so than like a an agent of on one or the other side of the line of that like safety and corruption and there hmm. that's how i see it but i don't know it's so big it's so hard to like right and it's it's like I just, I wonder what their stake in the game is really. Like they have, you know, if they're able Global to tell commodity. all of this stuff is illegal, but they're not, I don't know what they're doing about it. That's what I mean is I don't think they really do stuff. I yeah. think they can help fund people that want to do something, but I also think that they help fund people that like cause the problem to begin with. They're the, they're mm -hmm. a, they're a, a commodity like money balancing situation more yeah. than a solution to any problem they have a lot of information that is like useful mm -hmm. which i guess is an interesting role would it be better if they were like legit helpful yeah i mean they very well might make their money off of the fact that they don't have to help that they that these that these battles can continue um right exactly like a lot of people make money off the fact that these inequalities continue to right play a part of our um global supply chain yep i would say that's a pretty good way to think about it Global, yeah. If, it's, yeah. if, it, if there's a global supply chain, the World Bank is involved. Yeah, yeah.
Yeah. Um, so yeah, this this topic. <laughs> like I loved this book, um, and it made it a lot clearer. Um, it made the issues clearer. I hadn't thought about like timber poaching. Yeah, um, yeah, which that was massive. what I wasn't familiar with. Like, yeah. So it made the issue clearer, but it didn't necessarily make the solutions clearer. And I'm not sure. And it makes me actually concerned that maybe there isn't a great solution because because of issues like poaching. Mm -hmm. So for deforest, when it comes to deforestation, I'm kind of leaning towards like political solutions, industry solutions. I, on a consumer based level, it's really going to come down to research, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but like, this has to be like political and industry. Right. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, where is that illegal, illegally sourced wood going and what is it being used for? You right. know, like they're doing it for a reason. Those timber poachers are being paid by someone. Right. Who's doing that? Who is doing that? And, and, but are they even saying like, there's a part in this that blows my mind and it's not the first time we've heard stories like this, right? Where somebody just stole a bunch of land, deforested it, and then sold it. Like they owned it. They literally just like moved in, cut everything down, started a farm and then sold it to a bunch yeah. of settlers. And it took like fucking 20 years or something for the tribes to be able to say this land was stolen to begin with it was never yours <laughs> yeah. it was never yours like mm -hmm. that's not the first time we've heard stories like that no but so then like so then it's like now i also feel bad kind of for those settlers because they bought that land to them they made us they bought a land and like built it for themselves you know they didn't know that it was stolen so you don't know that i mean we don't know that but we can mm -hmm. we can say like i mean what would you do if you made a fair trade and then somebody was like but that wasn't yours to buy mm -hmm. you'd be like i don't know now i'm out my whole life my my lifestyle so that leads me to to wonder like these timber poachers are they just chopping down trees and then selling them to whoever will to the end market right yeah. to the to the people right they're not saying yeah i mean when you like, when someone's trying to buy wood like it's impossible to tell if that wood has been sourced legally or illegally right it's just a it's just a commodity then right so and there's no like way of proving that something is legally you, sourced. Right, or that you knew that it was legally or illegally sourced, right? Like if I, like I, my desktop right now is wood. Mm -hmm. I don't have any idea how to even trace this back to where yeah. it came from. No, yeah, not at I all. I have no idea. Not at all, yeah. I mean, that, yeah, and I, I don't know where that 
would even start, you know, like. Right. So it's like, okay, so you have to stop it from the source. That's mm-hmm. essentially like it, once it's, once it's chopped down and out of the forest, who's to say like how it was obtained legally or illegally. Right. It has to stop at the, at the source. And how do you do that? Yeah. I mean, something I saw was like, okay, in the EU, they implemented the European Union timber regulation um, as a way to stop this, but it didn't really seem like they had a great way of knowing the, the origin of anything, even, even though they are trying to kind of start this regulation, which I guess is kind of the only way to do it, right? If you just have, right. you just enforce transparency throughout the entire process. Right. Right. It's so, it's so shifty. This problem is so shifty. And like this book, it in a lot of ways is beautiful. In a lot of ways is extremely frustrating because he understands the issue so well, so personally, so, and and also on such a like deep political level and as a conservationist and an environmentalist, like he's, he's incredible, but even he doesn't have, even he doesn't have all of the solutions. He doesn't, he doesn't have the answer. He just has like, I want to make it sustainable for my people so that we don't have to sell our, like, take bribes and sell this land. But he, but he doesn't, and at the same time, he wants the, the political aspect to be like, please help with the timber poachers, please help mm-hmm. with the deforestation. But that's almost like he talks about having EP, the EPA come in and have like put patrols. Um, he talks about having um, like laws set down laws can be revoked that happened also so like deforestation as a whole is so difficult to solve because you can do it legally and you can do it illegally if and like and what do you make stuff out of if it's not wood now we're back to the packaging question Mm -hmm. can you recycle wood I I guess that's what yeah I mean but it's uh, like like particle board yeah particle board yeah we have OSB um what's that I think it's really similar to particle board of the way Mm -hmm. that you um it's like shredded wood that's recompressed yeah yeah or like one like in this house rebuilding project we're doing everything we can to reuse to go to a second hand like you get big warehouses full of wood that's just reclaimed Mm -hmm. using reclaimed wood we're using floorboards to make our doors for instance like old floorboards but i mean what's the solution yeah um i mean on a small scale it is 
you know, if, if a brand is creating products made of wood, then, and if you have the ability to know your supply chain, then it just kind of even more evident that that needs to be really, really transparent and out there in. And this is where the FSC makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah this is where for me like in in last month we talked about paper and packaging and paper and how the fsc certification isn't the most perfect solution when it comes to paper products because recycled paper and and 100 percent post-consumer is ideal but the fsc is a really good solution for brands that want to use wood that don't want to contribute to deforestation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to know that they're apparently wood products, including paper only accounts for actually 10% of deforestation in the globe. Really? Where did you find that? Did you look it up? I did. I did. Yeah. That's one of the questions that I, that I had. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Yeah. I was like, okay, like what in the bigger scheme of things, you know, is it, where did you find the information you were looking up? Yes. I found that on a website called AICHE.org, the global home of chemical engineers. This was a paper that they put out, um, sustainability challenges in the paper industry. I can link it. We can link it in the description um, for sure. It's an interesting one. Um, It said something to the effect that like, I guess there's a the union of concerned scientists is a, some sort of group of scientists which sounds sounds like I'd like to sit in on one of their meetings I think yeah really yeah <laughs> <laughs> like a um, room but yeah that essentially cattle soybean and palm oil are some of the main act like culprits of okay deforestation is just it's agricultural um I mean that was what we what we have been saying is that we're pretty sure it's agriculture but what the fuck like agriculture doesn't use trees what are those trees used for where what what is that wood where where does that wood go what is it what is it for yeah, I do, right. For for the trees that are cut down purely for the sake of clearing the land for agriculture, yeah, I, it seems like that those those trees obviously they get sold or something or they're used as an energy source for some for something else it's that they're burned. doing there. Potentially, I don't I don't know that. Yeah, but it it it, that that's an interesting distinction though it's like okay the the the, the forest is getting cut down regardless if your goal is to just clear that for agriculture right you're still selling the wood so right. wouldn't so that is 
right. So is wood production and like paper production and all that stuff, is it really only 10%? Right. And building materials, like, is it really only 10% of deforestation? Or- right. And how can that be calculated if they're still, regardless of like the end goal of what they're going to use this land for, right. they're still selling that as a resource. Right. So... Yeah, I mean, I guess they're not mutually exclusive, right? They can. <laughs> this, person, this was written by someone named Daniel Matthews. Daniel Matthews, yeah. I just followed him on Twitter. Nice. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to hit him up. It's. You got questions, bro. Yeah, it's, it's uh, a really interesting article. And it definitely, you know, talks about how things still continue through you know to today that um you know I think some parts of South America are more protected I think that that's just more well known as an area that people in general want to save the rainforest like that has now got this cultural buzz around it people understand that but the the issue I think right now has definitely shifted to Southeast Asia um and and that area I know is heavily tied to palm oil production. So yeah. that's so a don't... whole other thing of palm oil in all of our foods and products yeah. and everything. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's been an issue. I mean, that's been an issue for a long time. We worked with a skincare company. That's where we met. And that that company had to fight it was it was difficult to find products that didn't have palm oil in them mm-hmm. um, and that was one of the driving forces behind the creators of that company was because there's palm oil in all of their products yeah, uh, in, yeah. Their, in their cabinet so they created they created that one yeah 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 uh, it's it's really hard to avoid and yeah. it's kind of crazy how it's taken over and been put into every product and like it's just cheap and yeah. shit it grow like palm oil and palm like it just grows so yeah. like it'll grow anywhere but now you're dealing with like monocropping and that's a whole sustainability issue by itself yeah and different diseases and it's also like not the healthiest option it's just one of the cheapest options it's one of the simplest it's one of the easiest to like manufacture um uh, process yeah it's one of the easiest to process and refine Mm -hmm. so i feel like we didn't uh, we haven't like found we haven't uncovered anything but like deeper issues this time this month yeah I don't think that this issue has a whole lot of like cut and dry solutions um aside from just being trying to be aware of where your products that you're purchasing are are being sourced yep um yeah, so he's, he gives the, uh, was it Sergey, the name of the bodyguard? Oh, I don't, I didn't write that down. I, um, I think it was Sergey or something like, something close to that. Um, 
in the beginning, he was like, I really didn't want to be assigned this role. But by the end of the book, he's like, what can I do to solve this problem? And Almir so sweetly puts it, do you eat meat? <laughs> like um, some solutions that he offered is, um, yeah, eat less meat because that is, that is a big part of it. Um, and question your own consumption habits, which is again, something that we've come, come to almost every episode is, is questioning your consumption habits. Um, choose sustainable products and products that come from sustainable places. Hey, check out the Living Brand Directory because that's what we're building is exactly that ecosystem. Um, support NGOs and make people more aware and just like raise the vibration of this conversation basically. Yeah. And um, use, use the model of nature to offer energy solutions. That I thought was really beautiful. Um, that, was a, that was an exact quote. He said, look around, he said something like, look around you. Nature has already solved every single problem we're running into right now. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it takes thousands of years, but like nature has evolved to already have solved these things. We just need to listen and pay attention and, and look at the sources you know, of what's happening. Nature doesn't have a waste problem. They don't have a... It is a closed loop system. Mm. Yeah, it is not. A, yeah, it is, does not have these issues. We're causing them. Yeah. There was another part of that just reminded me of, um, there was another part of the book where Almir was talking to his dad and he was, his dad essentially said something to the effect of like, you don't have to worry, like the people that are causing these problems will come back to us for the solutions because they are like the only people that know how to actually yep. live in in a way that is truly sustainable for the planet. And, yeah. and I think that that's continues to be true that like we have to learn from indigenous populations Absolutely. And, and utilize their teachings in, in how we can try to shift society in a way that has any possible chance of like living on this planet yeah. for an extended period of time. Right. Totally. And he also makes the point of that we are destroying the equilibrium that the earth we go down we drill down only several kilometers but there's hundreds so we're not impacting yet the root of the planet so the planet itself will heal and be fine what we're actually doing is upsetting the equilibrium and destroying the, that balance of mm -hmm. our ability to live on this planet and that's the, I mean, that's the nuts and bolts of it, right? Is like, yeah. we're fucking up our own lives. Yeah, it's just not tangible yet, really enough to prove to people right. that uh, that it's an issue that needs immediate addressing. Um, yes. 
it's starting to become very clear. I think so, and I, but there is still a massive amount of pushback in terms of even believing that climate change is a reality. Hashtag uh, climate change is real. Stop. It is, I it is it a very strange time that we're living in. Yes. Very strange time. Yeah, come on guys, climate change is real and it's a problem. Yeah. Um, on that note, I saw a funny tweet. Well, Elon Musk tweeted something like, "Oh, I'll 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 donate a hundred million dollars or billion dollars I don't know, to yeah whoever can solve the carbon emission problem." And and somebody that. was just like, "Shout out to whoever invents forests! <laughs> like you're gonna get hundred million dollars! <laughs> like that's the fucking solution!" Hi, yeah. Plants How about you trees. ask the indigenous people of the rainforest? Right what their possible solutions could be instead right. of instead of thinking that that technology is the only way that we can potentially solve it i think it could help i think that it has to be sure. a, a joint effort um totally but yeah i mean yeah please invent a technology that can get that can be a carbon sink uh i'm very very interested in like this term carbon sink um and there's a company that I found that was in Kickstarter. I think it's called Net Zero or something like that. Um, that is okay. developing like a mycelial ball that you just set outside and it can, and as it grows, um, it grows into, I think like the mycelial network and, and it helps create like carbon, these carbon sinks in your, in everyday gardens. And it can hold like, I don't want to say I think hmm. it, each one will hold like a ton of carbon and it just holds it just it helps. just absorbs it from the atmosphere just, yeah yeah oh, wow okay and but then which is awesome that sort of technology is so necessary but yeah a tree also yeah like does the same so let's plant trees and grow gardens and, you know, help make things beautiful and balanced. Yeah. Yeah. That is, um, what we gotta do. Mm -hmm. That's, that's really the only solution that there can be. Mm -hmm yeah it's um but um, you know we're continually going to have to fight against people's short-term financial gain in their interest in short-term financial gain right. that's that's really the the culprit is is just right. over consumption over commodification of these different types of of trees and mm -hmm. in these areas um and yeah yeah, we can identify the issue really well, but the solution is complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, voting helps, and in, in well, some of these areas, voting isn't an option. I, I, I suppose not, not as 
Yeah, especially yeah. indigenous folks. Like mm -hmm. they don't always have they don't always have rights to vote because right. their lands are like outside of the nation. Yeah. I don't know. That's something I'm very interested in. Um, as a different side note, when we we're gonna have um, I don't know what we'll talk about next month yet but when we talk about environmental racism i definitely want to talk about indigenous folks and like the voting rights and like that's our, that that yeah 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 um it's, it's there's a lot of history here and in canada um mm -hmm. really yeah really anywhere, anywhere. <laughs> really any, yes. anywhere yes. but um yeah. Colonized. yeah yeah which means anywhere but europe but also europe yeah it's just it's just was so long ago that the history is different now yeah it's a it's a wild wild topic um but this book was a really really nice perspective mm -hmm that I think really beautifully communicated um, the value of, of the rainforest and what it can hold if you respect it and listen to it and, mm -hmm. um, and think of it as, as a living part of the world yeah. and not just as this thing that's, you know, not just yeah. a tree is just a thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a living thing. It's a living being, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it was a lovely book. It really was. Mm -hmm. Elmir did a great job. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for writing it. Thank you for the work that you're doing <laughs> and, yeah. and work continues to do. And I think it has probably gotten a lot harder for mm -hmm. him. Um, mm -hmm. So I but hope he's, he's fine. legitimately okay. made massive changes and brought so much awareness. And yeah. This guy's definitely one of my heroes now, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, definitely worth a read or a listen. Uh, again, it's called Save the Planet um, by Almir Nairamoga Sorui. And uh, that's our that's a little book review, huh? Yeah. <laughs> We would love yeah. to know your guys' thoughts on yeah. this topic. I know, you know it feels weird one. to be like, subscribe. But if you like this type of language and um, you want to hear more, subscribe to our podcast. Yeah. I mean, when learning about sustainability, it isn't pretty. It's not going to be. It's, this is you not know, pretty. It's they're, not they're, easy. Right. Like, yeah, making sustainable choices is a great thing. And that can make you feel really good about yourself. Mm -hmm. But um, at the root of it, you should also want to learn about these issues and yeah. kind of understanding sustainability from more of a global perspective uh, right. from, than from like an individualistic kind of consumer perspective. I think both yeah. are, they go hand in hand, but yeah, yeah I mean I feel like it's nice to know why you're making like sustainable based choices as a consumer yeah uh 
why you'd want to, why brands want to offer those solutions, why they cost more, why do you know, this is why, you know, we're, we're really investigating why and what it means, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So we hope that we are arming you with more information to be able to make better consumer decisions and better and, and feel more confident in, in choosing those more sustainable options. Um, and, mm-hmm. and, and feeling, just feeling overall more compelled to make those yeah. sustainable decisions, regardless of the fact that they may be more of, of a financial investment. Um, mm-hmm. There, you know, you'll, you'll have the basic understanding as to why that is worth it. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's our goal. So, um, <laughs> It's so big. It's such a big goal. And I'm like regularly medium bummed. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is this kind of a bummer it. of a podcast? Yeah. 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 The bummer topic. I mean, it's not, yeah, there, there's no, there's no silver lining. It's just no. a shitty thing that's happening in the world and continues to happen. And we can, support organizations that are fighting against it and we can make better consumer decisions so that we're not negatively contributing to it. Yep. That's what we got. And we're here to investigate all of that. Yeah. We should get magnifying glasses. (laughs) (laughs) That might actually be be cute. Yeah. I, um, yeah, yeah. We're going to be rebranding the look of this podcast a little bit. And, uh, when playing around with that, I realized that, the topics that we talk about are so serious and big and we don't want to like, I don't want to belittle any of them. Um, That's what, yeah. In the way that we are in, in creating the podcast imagery and right. uh, I yeah, realize that our, our smiling faces are perhaps not the best thing to, uh, to highlight. Right. Yeah. We're kind of, looking at that it didn't I guess I didn't we didn't really think about the bubberness of problems around sustainability and why sustainability is even an important topic we we got it but like mm-hmm. it's so easy to be like cool with discussing it but then you start doing it and it's like oh my god this is atrocious yeah. Some of the things that like happen on this planet are fucking terrible. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And, um, and it's worth investigating and it's, yeah, it's, it's just so interesting how, um, sustainability has become trendy, you know, it, it is, it is, it is becoming right. more mainstream and and that's and not that's good yeah but... that's not a bad thing necessarily and we we definitely speak on on some of the negative sides of that in terms of of brands you know really trying to trying to fit in with those trends by by being yeah. by greenwashing mm-hmm. but not cool uh, yeah so but also like is it a form of greenwashing to choose sustainability because it's trendy does that question make sense like 
if you're a truly sustainable brand, like I think there's a piece of it that you understand that this shit is fucked up and that we shouldn't even have to have this conversation. We shouldn't even have to be like, like here's an, here's an example of genocide from fucking 10 years ago, you know, like this shouldn't be that we shouldn't have to make this podcast to investigate different aspects of terrible fucked up shit that humans have done in the planet, you know? So, I mean, that's just, that's, that's not, yeah, I, I feel that way. So I kind of feel like should like brands that are focused on sustainability. Yeah, that's awesome. And we need that. And we, we should be focused on that entirely, but I'm kind of feeling like a brand that is focused on sustainability and not focused on talking about the issues or, mm-hmm. or connecting with the issues is a form of greenwashing. I agree with that. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. I think that it is, if, if this is something that you value, it is your responsibility to educate yourself further on the issues that are at play that are causing these bigger things in general like yeah I mean if you sell a re you know sell metal straws that's great you're trying to reduce the impact of plastic pollution okay you have a very specific goal and target but like then I think, yeah, it is absolutely your responsibility to understand further about the the global issues of, of plastic right. pollution, plastic production, uh, recycling, and, mm-hmm. and all of these things that are so interconnected. And you can't just ignore that and, and right. just think that if someone purchases your product now, that is the solution. Because that's, it's not... It's not, there is a unique responsibility of sustainable brands to educate your audience. And because that person very very well might purchase your straw, but then go do something else that is totally not sustainable and not even, and not even know because Mm -hmm. they're missing an aspect. You, they're missing an aspect of like the education around sustainability because it's trendy. Yeah. Because it's cool to be like, oh yeah, check out this new brand I like. They they're really great and they're sustainable. Right. But it's right. like that's a different motivator than like one fifth of the rainforest is gone, and like a soccer field worth of trees are being cut down literally every two seconds, and like there's no one to stop it. Yeah. No, people are turning a blind eye. They're ignoring it. And the people that are trying to make a difference are being murdered or they're being like ignored at best. So like, yeah. 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 I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist. That's not conspiracy theory. That's just what's happening. That's not conspiracy theory at all. No, that, no that's I just read the a whole book literally about that's exactly that's what the, just that's seems, the way the just, world works. Yeah, but it just seems so out there, right? It seems like saying that 
feel feels like that shouldn't be true like I should be like people look at me like that's not real that's a conspiracy no actually but like it's not it's not because it's historically accurate I mean that this is not an isolated (laughs) incident there is there are countless numbers of times that this has happened in different places around the world um yeah and uh yeah i mean i think that if if us learning about it and talking about it on this podcast and kind of digesting it and reiterating what we learn over the course of these these months is at all helpful in help in 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 someone better understanding how they fit into this bigger picture then we've done our jobs that's absolutely so that's that's really absolutely I also think like yeah it's great that we're doing it on the podcast but I also think we've done our jobs by learning about these issues and sharing it Mm -hmm. and you know Mm -hmm. two more at least two more highly educated humans on these on this topic there's so much that I've learned though already we've only done this this is number I think 13 this is this is this is episode 13 of environmental and man like I have already shifted how I focus on what I'm consuming and how I am disposing of the things that I need to dispose of and how I'm looking at my individual actions yep and same that is where that's the crux of change. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. follow along with us. <laughs> so we invite you to this journey. It might be a bummer, but we've got us all. We're here together. We're with you. Yeah. If we can laugh about some part of it, we'll try to try to make <laughs> yeah. it uh, something that is not total yeah today was a bummer episode i want to say but most other episodes we like laugh quite a bit so yeah i'm i i like when we speak to change makers in the particular industries that's where it gets really exciting because they're working Mm -hmm. to do something positive and we can really shift the the perspective so that's really really cool um so that'll be coming yeah in the not too distant future. That's their next up. And um, yeah, I think that's it for this episode though. I think so. Cool. Thank you for watching everybody or listening. And no matter where you are, have a good day. Bye. Bye.